Welcome back to the Driving Ambition Podcast. This is Adrian Reyes, a.k.a. Adrian Ambition. In psychology, grit is a positive, non-cognitive trait based on an individual's perseverance of effort combined with a passion for a particular long-term goal or end state. Angela Duckworth, who published the popularized book, has found that grit is the hallmark of high achievers in every domain. She's also found scientific evidence that grit can grow. In this episode, we meet Barbode Sudi. Barbode, who worked at restaurants such as Quince Restaurant in SF, interned at the French Laundry in Napa Valley, California, and most recently was the chef de cuisine at Aloe the number one restaurant in Canada and number 94 in the world. Barbode shares important life lessons around gaining clarity behind your passion, persevering through setbacks, but more importantly, that growth is always on the other side of your comfort zone, especially when there is no safety net. Enjoy the episode. Barbode, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Agent. Thank you for having me. The, I just want to let you know it's super rewarding to have you on the show. It's been about six years since we've known each other. We first met in San Francisco in 2014, believe it or not. And we've certainly gotten close. We've been to uh, concerts and we've hung out together. I certainly haven't enjoyed your your culinary expertise, both in, in your apartment and, and the restaurant. <laughs> I want to start the conversation with regards to you know, how you first kind of came to the realization that food was your passion and was just kind of curious, how did you first become interested in pursuing food as a career? Uh, well, for me, I guess it's kind of cliche in a way when I was young. Uh, well, I, well, first, let me say this. I grew up in a household that was filled with culture and my background is Iranian um, both my parents are from Iran, um, and my mom is the best chef that I know. She cooks some of the most delicious food I've ever had in my life on a consistent basis, and I grew up eating that, so food was always a part of my life and culture. Um, I never really took it seriously. As a kid, I used to watch, this is the cliche part, I used to watch like Iron Chef. Back in the day, the good Japanese ones, not the, <laughs> not the newer ones, no yep. offense, but... Um, and I kind of grasped my interest, but I never really thought anything of it. And then as I went on through life and whatnot, I really never had a clear path as to what I wanted to do or who I wanted to become. And I think a lot of people don't have that, but I was fortunate to find that, I guess, early on, um, starting years of university, I went to, uh, Ottawa U and did political science thinking that I want to be a lawyer and the year that I was going to start applying for law school. I had met somebody who attended the Cordon Bleu in Ottawa and kind of just spoke to him about what he was doing, what his day-to-day was like, what I had no idea of how to wrap my head around the culinary school. What do they do? You just go in and cook every day? What's your classes like? What's your, he started talking to me about it and it right away just grabbed my interest. And then I kind of started thinking about those days where I used to love watching Iron Chef and 
my mom used to make jokes about, oh, you should go to culinary school. And then here I am, what, 10, 15 years later, calling my mom, telling her, I'm not going to become a lawyer anymore. I want to become a chef. And when she, her jaw dropped over the phone, like, like I was wasting, like I was going to miss out on so much opportunity in my life. I reminded her that you're the one that told me to go to culinary school when I was a kid. Oh, <laughs> and wow. I kind of laughed it off or whatnot. But um, I think that's where it started. And I think what's so fascinating about how um, I fell into this kind of journey, let's say, is that the individual that I met, and this is kind of a starting point, a starting talking point of, of what I believe, like the important parts of my career so far is the individual that I met who went to culinary school after that year, I have never talked or seen him again. So I wow. do believe that there was a, almost a, a purpose, not to get all you know, spiritual, but there was a purpose for me and that person at that particular point in my life to kind of just set me on this path to just change everything, flip everything upside down. So then I decided I want to be a chef. And I thought it wasn't, I was never big on science, math. I'm not, I'm not. I did well, fairly well in school, but I was never really a studious person. And, you know, and I needed to have a career hands-on, something where I was being uh, stimulated constantly, problem-solving and working my hands. And then also that creative kind of artsy side to, to being, becoming a chef, which strictly now that I realize many years later, that's such a minute part of being a chef. But at the time, the idea of, playing with food and making beautiful food and, and kind of representing what I learned in my house through my parents and my mom and my aunts and whatnot. I, I think it really appealed to me and the challenge of it. So I think that's where the passion started because I was never passionate about anything until that point. Hmm. And it, it was a, and I was, I, I was in for a rude awakening. It's, it's, you know, it, it's proven to be something that is extremely difficult to pursue in a career, you know. I, I also had a good friend that I grew up with um, who is the son of Peter Oliver, who in Canada is one of their, if not the biggest hospitality group in the country. Um, and I grew up playing hockey with them and whatnot on there and just were really good friends before even thinking of becoming a chef. And then he set me up with a conversation with his dad, Peter Oliver was super kind to me always. And uh, we had a chance to talk over the phone about what it meant to, to get your foot in the industry and whatnot. And then he set me up with his uh, executive chef of the company, which was Anthony Walsh, still is. I went up to Canoe, the restaurant, which is on, uh, you know, up 50 stories in downtown Toronto, overlooking the city. And I sat down and had a conversation with him for an hour and he was kind enough to, to, again, just talk to me about how to get your foot in the door and what it takes to be successful in the industry. And I think at that moment, everything changed. After those couple conversations, everything had changed. I decided to go back to school, kind of finish my degree, which I unfortunately did not. Um, but I knew that after that, it was I was going to become a chef and I was going to try my best to become very good at it because I'd never pursued something ever seriously so now this was the time for me that's great i want to touch on something that you raised which is the element of having those conversations as being kind of eureka moments or compelling events for you how did you then take it from 
ideation and conversation to creation and practice? And who did you first cook for? And then how did that, like, what was the feedback that you were getting on that? And I just kind of want to get ourselves in, in, in that moment of time when, right. you know, it's going from idea to, to putting, to plating food basically. Well, until then I'd never cooked for anybody until, um, except for friends in university or whatnot, where I'll just basically open the cabinet and find as many slices as I can mix and put it on a piece of chicken or whatnot, or make something that I thought at the time was a risotto and just put as much cheese as possible in it, where people would be like, oh, this is delicious, where now I, you know, I would never put nearly as much. But um, I, I basically just entered this mentality. Once I had these conversations, where, which has stuck to me to this day, was once you figure out what you really want to be doing in your life, there's no excuse for not doing it 110%. Mm-hmm. Because I, I had no trajectory, I had no path up until that moment. And now that I know that this is what I want to do, I have to do it to the best that I can until the end. I have no excuses. So you're right. There were eureka moments. And, and what's funny is that when you look back years later, there's many more than you realized at the time. When I look back now, I think at all the things that kind of fell into place to get me here. And there's so many more that I didn't realize in those moments, such as meeting that one gentleman who put me onto culinary school took 10 years for me to look back and be like, man, I really have never talked to him again ever since then. There was a reason for meeting him. So after having those conversations, um, I kind of did a little summer job. I, I, you know, at a, at a nice Italian restaurant in the city, I'd only work, I would only work two days a week for three hours. Give me the most minimal simplistic idea of what it would be like to be in a kitchen. I didn't even know what a ladle was when I stepped in. I had no idea what anything was not how to use a knife or whatnot. So got in there, gave me a little bit of an idea. And then after that summer, I realized that this was something that I would have to take extremely seriously to be a part of. And I would have to sacrifice a lot to do so in the future. Because every chef that I spoke to in that kitchen would tell me that they have no life. Their life is the kitchen. And that kind of intimidated me at first, but also set the tone in a way. So then I left school and I joined, uh, enrolled into a culinary school, George Brown, which is the, probably the biggest one in, in Toronto, um, at the time and still now. And kind of the rest was history. I, I got a job after culinary school with somebody who was a sous chef at the Italian restaurant. He brought me with him. Um, that was my first chef job. I went full throttle working 60 plus hours a week, which at the time to me was mind boggling. I was able to do that. Uh, it gave me a clear idea of what I wanted to do. And then I enrolled in culinary school. I did both at the same time. And I spent my extra time volunteering at a butcher shop. I just wanted to soak in as much knowledge as I could in a small amount of time. Because in my mind, I'd started at 22. And to me, that was starting late. So I felt like I had to play catch up for the rest of my career. So I think, and then first cooking was kind of making salads. It was an appetizer station, making salads and soups and whatnot. And, and there was definitely some pride in what I was doing, but I still was absolutely clueless. But I had a great team around me. I had a great chef, Michael Wilson and whatnot. And they, I think because of my personality, I've always managed to work around great people who take, who, who 
take good care of me and take me on their wing and teach me and guide me. And because I took it so seriously mm-hmm. and having gone through school kind of um, create a more mature mentality to approach this career because I've been through school, I had gone through a career change and now that was it. Like I said, there was no excuses anymore. At what point in that discovery or self-discovery journey, did you get validation, whether it be from yourself or someone else where you're, where you realized, Hey, I'm really good at this. I could be really good or great at this. When was yeah. that? Um, I think there was two, there was a couple moments. One was my first, um, which I'll talk about later was my first, the first opportunity to get myself out of my comfort zone to really test myself um, was when I, I enrolled in a six month internship at Eigenson farm, which is an amazing uh, house slash farm slash restaurant run by a gentleman named Michael Statlander and his wife, Nobuyo. Um, who at the time truly were doing stuff that nobody else was doing. The the whole farm-to-table movement, they had started that before it even started. They were growing vegetables on the farm, raising animals, were slaughtering, were weeding, picking, everything, and serving it on weekends in the dining room of their house. So I enrolled in that. Um, I thought... And at the time, it was one of the best restaurants in the country. So I showed up in a suit. <laughs> Looking back at it now, I think I looked ridiculous walking onto a farm with dress shoes and whatnot and getting mud all over them. And I showed up unannounced and just wanted to introduce myself. It was about it's almost two hours away from the city. And I drove up there and he wasn't even there. So I left the resume. Wow. <laughs> Knowing for now that it for sure got lost. Um, anyways, moving forward, I, um, through school, I, we did an event there. I spoke with him and he remembered my resume. So I, I started and that for a city boy like myself, who had never really even gone camping was very difficult at first. It was a true test in all meanings of the word. It would culinary wise the cooking was stuff that i'd never done before the butchery the the hard work the farming waking up at six in the morning feed the animals get your day started finish it you know eight nine p.m sit down have dinner go to sleep and just keep doing it all over again i think in six months i had about four days off that i had to ask for to in a way to to just go home and see my family but we all worked that hard because we all were passionate about what we're doing and that was such a far stretch from anything I'd ever done or even seen myself doing. And I think that's where that cliche term where you say, uh, I became a man, that's where it happened for me because I'd never worked that hard in my life and done something so meaningful. And I, I, I grew as a person. I was, a, you know, there's five apprentices that you're around all day, every day, but you're kind of by yourself because you're away from your family and your friends and your loved ones and whatnot. And that was extremely challenging. But looking back now, it was still to this day, one of the best things I've ever done by far in my life. Um, I think that was the first test. Mm-hmm. First sort of validation where I was like, okay, I, I can work hard. 
that was that. And then when I'd come back, I'd set my sights on another goal. I wanted to go to the French Laundry and do an internship there, which at the time and still to this day, I consider one of the best restaurants ever. Um, Thomas Keller has, has been nothing but an inspiration to so many of us young chefs. And um, So nobody I had known had gone there to do an internship. And I had set out. I came back for about six months. Still, this is still in my first year and a half of cooking. I knew nothing, but I said, you know what? I'm going to apply to the French Laundry. So I applied. They had two restaurants at the time of the same caliber. Let's say that French Laundry and they have in um, Napa Valley and then they have per se in New York city. So my plan was to um, send my resume. I got some beautiful uh, letters of reference from some of my employers at the butcher shop and at the school and work. And I had a pretty nice package on some very nice, high quality paper. Um, and I was going to send them my resume every two weeks until I got it. That was it. I would not stop sending it until I got accepted somewhere. So I remember I, I sent it once to Perse and once to French Laundry. I went on a trip to Cuba I checked my email and I had a response from per se that accepting me to become an intern at the, at per se. I, that day I remember vividly, I, I went to my room and just bawled. I couldn't stop crying because that was validation. The truest form where I was like, wow, I'm, I can really, that was when I was like, man, I'm, I'm actually on a path here. And it's all making sense to me and it's all falling in place. And it was this beautiful thing where, you know, where you and I, Adrian, have spoken about where the universe was, was kind of playing in my favor. And, and then I checked my email the next day and I got a response from the French Laundry. Oh my and then God. I was able to actually choose which one I went to, which oh was crazy. So the French Laundry to me was kind of where it all started. So I decided to go there and that was also a career defining moment because culinary wise, you go to these internships and these world-class restaurants, you don't learn how to cook. You learn how to be organized. You learn how to be disciplined. You watch the systems that are in place for people to work and how professional they are. And that's what it taught me the most more than anything, because I was sitting there doing a little, you know, millimeter dices for 12 hours every day, picking a million little microgreens and cleaning eggshells for the little egg custard. And it was just very tedious, monotonous work, but it gave me a firm idea of what it was like to be a professional chef because everybody had manicured themselves in a way where I'd never seen in a kitchen in Toronto, let's say at the time where everybody was, you had to be clean shaven or you're getting, or you, you're getting sent home. You know, your everyone's hair was done up. Well, it's like, it's, it's the same thing where I kind of compared it to the business world now where you go in dressed up, looking clean, looking ready to crush in a very professional manner and nice suit and whatnot. And that same attentiveness to your look and your hygiene was being, was happening in a kitchen. I'd never seen that. So now I know that I knew moving forward what the level I needed to be at was. And I think that's what it taught me the most. And so when I left there, I had a little, then I was getting, gaining a little confidence and I felt like there was a little stride um, moving forward. And yeah. Put us into, so let's fast forward now. You, you talk about the environment within the kitchen, you know, how there's systems, there's, um, 
you know, there's, there's certain uh, polish and professionalism to it. A lot of us who are probably listening only see things on TV around the kitchen and, and just the overall, um, probably like the intensity behind it. What is it like? What's the environment like in the kitchen? Like put us, put us in your shoes in terms of everything going on, the decisions you have to make, the, the amount of hours, the people that you're interacting with, so just kind of give us a, a glimpse into what that world is like from a day-to-day uh, basis. Yeah, that's a great uh, point to touch on. Uh, I think there are huge misconceptions about uh, kitchen environments. Um, I think because of the what's being glamorized on TV constantly on you know Food Network and whatnot, and I think um, there's there's a couple misconceptions coming from a couple of different perspectives. Like um, for the people, for guests and clients and whatnot. Um, I think it seems to be a lot more fun than, than it is. Right. Um, that I, like I said earlier, creating food is such a minute part of becoming a chef. You know, that's the, that becomes the easiest part of becoming a chef. The hardest part is <clears throat> sorry, managing a team and the sacrifice that it takes to get to where you need to be. There are no guarantees in the kitchen. Um, I often compare it to, let's say, my brother who's a doctor. It's extremely hard work getting there. But you know that after you do your school and you get your job, that you're pretty much set. And given, there could be different circumstances, but you're set. None of that is applicable to uh, becoming a chef. So the actual physical act of working in a kitchen, it's hot. It's exhausting. Um, it's, it's so many things at the same time where you're working 16 hours a day easily um, in any given kitchen. In the summertime, you don't stop sweating from the second you put your chef coat on to the second you leave those doors. Uh, it's tiring because you're working five to six days a week. At 16 hours, you're doing pretty much two work weeks of a normal person in one work week. And that's not even taking into consideration the stress and the pressure that, that is involved in the tasks that you do on a day-to-day basis. And in any uh, high-level kitchen, the, the attention to detail is is like no other that I've seen. So you put that pressure on your cooks. The cooks feel that directly. And the chefs feel it from above. It's, it's It all trickles down from above. But... You know, like for instance, right now at um, I, I'm the, I was at least until COVID. I'm not sure what now, but the I'm the chef de cuisine at Allo Restaurant in Toronto, and we go through every day at 5 p.m. before service. We go through every cook's fridge and every container, and we check every dice. We taste every sauce. We look at every garnish. There's nothing that goes unseen on a plate to the guests. And this is all before the doors even open. So the pressure from that cook to meet those standards and given we have an amazing environment in that kitchen, we've created a beautiful culture, a loving culture between the cooks. We have fun. We get upset. We're happy. We're all sorts of emotions, but we, everybody truly cares about each other, which is unlike some of the other kitchens that I've worked in coming up as a chef, but there's a lot of pressure and stress and it doesn't stop and you're literally running 
you're literally running from the second you step foot in that kitchen. I worked at a kitchen in Quint at called uh, a restaurant called Quince in San Francisco. And that was my hardest shit, my hardest cook job to this date. And for the first four months I was probably depressed. I moved out to San Francisco on this high, you know, after sending out email after email and showing up and knocking on doors. And then I was on this high and I get, I finally got a job in San Francisco, my dream, I was going to be a paid employee, not just an intern. I get there and the first three, four months where I was pretty much depressed. I left everyone that I loved and I went out to set on this journey. And I was, they were very hard on me, very, very hard on me. And I, I love them for it, but it was extremely difficult, the pressure and the stress. And I would have to take little, I'd have to kind of escape to the back room and just kind of catch my breath for a second and, and calm my anxiety and then get back to my station and keep prepping. And this is something that people don't know about the kitchen. And like I left that job being a better cook than I ever was. So it, it did numbers for my career and I overcame that hump and then succeeded in that in every position that they gave me following that. So the, it's, it's extreme amounts of sacrifice, really. You're, you're, most people are unhealthy mentally, physically, because you don't really have time to attend to yourself. There isn't that, you know, coming home at 5, 6 p.m., have a proper dinner, go to the gym or go to a yoga class or a fitness class or whatnot that some people have that opportunity in their lives. There's nothing. It's you wake up. You have pretty much half an hour to yourself to get ready. You get to work. You work 16, 17 hours on their stress and high heat environment. And then you come home. And it, by that time, you'd eaten maybe maybe one meal if you had time. And then it's two o'clock in the morning and you're home now. And you try to eat a little late night meal and you go right to bed and you do it all over again. And I, that's the non-glamorous side of becoming a chef that people don't see and that I wish were highlighted a lot more. And a Amongst all, amidst all this, you're being paid very poorly. So you're not building a savings. You're not, you're not setting yourself for the future. All you are doing, all you know is hard work. But there is no safety net, which is unfortunate because then you get to, you know, 30, 35, and you finally made it as a chef or whatnot, but you don't really have much in your personal life to show for it because you've sacrificed everything to get to this point, which is applicable to, I'm sure many different fields, but I can only speak on what I know really. Yeah. I think, you know, certainly that resonates and, you know, some people listening might be like, well, wow, you know, if they are going through this experience, why do they continue to, you know, punish themselves or, or have mm. kind of the spirit, spirit crunching experience what is it if we kind of think of the whole all of the experiences that you've gone through and and your journey what is it about your craft or the end like what is the end state i guess is my my question mm. well first off i truly do believe that to work in a kitchen you have to be cut from a different cloth it takes a certain type of person really it's it's almost like a safe haven it, it, it's like when you're going through issues in life or personal issues people in the kitchen are there for you it's this culture it's this family it's this and the best way to work through those problems that we know is to put your head over the cutting board grab a knife and prep and keep going and keep going and keep pushing and then it kind of gets your mind off of things um but what drives you 
is to be like any other field is to become the best at what you do. It just takes a ridiculous amount of hard work and again, sacrifice to get there. But you do have a goal in mind for me from day one, I've had to open my own restaurant. That's, that's no undoubtedly what I, what my career path is, is to open my own restaurants. And I have not gotten there yet. So I do not consider myself successful yet because of that. But I, you keep setting goals for yourself and reaching those kind of gives you a high every time you get to it. So my first goal, I want to go on Eigensen Farm. I did that. Now, okay, what's next? How do I push myself forward again? Get myself ahead of the game. Okay, I want to go to the French Laundry and become an intern. Did that. I came back. Then I worked in the city for a few years. And then I'm thinking, what's my next step up? What's, how do you keep elevating your career? So that's what drives me. So then I said, I want to become a, I want to work in these kitchens. I don't want to just be an intern picking greens. I want to be the cook that's telling the interns what I need picked and whatnot. Do a full circle. So I got, I, after a few years of working in the city, I managed to get out to San Francisco and knocked on doors. People ignored me, kept knocking, kept knocking. And two flights later, I finally got a job and I moved to San Francisco. Now I set another goal. I accomplished another goal that I'd set out. Now what's next? I want to come back to the city. I want to establish myself. I got a chance to work at Allo Restaurant, who for a few years now has been the number one in Canada. And we've been ranked in the top 100 restaurants in the world. I became a sous chef. Then the goal was to become the chef there. I became the chef. So now you think, okay, what's next? It's that constant what's next that just keeps driving you. And now I think in the future, just working towards my own restaurants. Who knows when you get there, what's next after that? But it's, it's kind of this, it's just, you have to be great at what you do. And that's kind of what, what's, what's been driving me this whole time is I, I can't have an excuse. Like I said, I can't have an excuse. I, I chose to do this wholeheartedly 15 years ago to reach certain goals. So that's what drives me. And I'm sure it's what drives a lot of other young, young cooks and, and chefs. And it's to just be very great at what you do because we don't have a choice. There's, there's only hard work is going to get us here. There's nothing else. There's nothing else that we can do this to get us here aside from hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Incredible. If you had to, I have a feeling, I think I know what you're going to say, but if you had to boil it down to throughout your, all of your experiences, the top three qualities that you exuded or exhibited during that period of time that helped you to succeed or achieve those goals, what would you say those three qualities would be? Um, if I had to choose three, um, the first thing was something I just kind of touched on was hard work. It's all I know. I've never really been great at anything. I still don't think I'm great at cooking at all. I just work extremely hard. I don't have this God. I've worked with people who have almost a God given talent that they can do. They can butcher extremely fast with not much experience Do it very well, very precise. Whatnot. And you look at them baffled that how can they be this good? And they've only been doing this for, you know, X amount of years, but I've always just had to work extremely hard. Um, and that kind of goes transcends into other aspects of my life. I've, you know, during my university years, I gained a whole bunch of weight and I lost, I managed to lose a hundred pounds in my life. 
that hard work and dedication from that I've learned from cooking kind of applied in that part of my life where I said, okay, well, if I'm going to lose weight, then I'm going to lose a lot of weight and I'm going to make sure I work hard to get there. So I think that's the first thing is just sheer hard work. I, I think that's in any field. Nothing trumps hard work. Um, second is um, getting myself out of my comfort zone, I think, is probably the most, one of the most important as well, where I keep doing it over and over. And sometimes I ask myself why, but I keep removing myself from that comfort zone with every job, with every decision. It's, you know, it's, it's a dangerous place to be in your comfort zone. It's your progression kind of comes to a halt. It ends, it, it stops, you're growing, you're, everything just stops when you become extremely comfortable. You're not pushing yourself anymore. Your drive starts getting lost. Your, your decisions become clouded, everything. So once you remove yourself in a comfort zone and you put yourself in an area where you're scared and it's the unknown and you don't know what's going to happen, then it pushes you to limits and you, you learn things about yourself that you've never known. So, you know, like, like my internships, like jobs that I've taken, like, Again, like my traveling to San Francisco and whatnot, it was all out of my comfort zone, working on a farm. It was stuff that I'd never known. And I did it. And I've done it in my personal life. And it's always worked out to, in my benefit. And the third thing, which I think a lot of people don't talk about, which is very important, is uh, just being a good person. Hmm. I think, you know, when we say like what are people always want to talk on, about mentality and um you know like like i said like the hard work and the work ethic and dedication and perseverance and whatnot all those are important but there's not much that beats becoming a good person and i think um a lot of my jobs i've gotten and opportunities are from people vouching for me that i didn't even know that they had heard from me from someone else who knew someone who knew me and that's why everything you do has to be done extremely professionally. And even in the kitchen where it's not, you know, you don't think of it as a professional atmosphere, but I've always carried myself as a professional in what I do and respectful towards people. And I, there's not many people, if any, that can speak poorly of me in this industry because I've always been fair with everybody. And whether I was a cook and I was a great team member and I'm, kind of have a big mouth and I like making people laugh and making fun of people and lightening up the mood. And if it's people who would speak that of me, or if it's me as a chef who would take care and love my cooks that I teach and they can speak highly of me because of what I've given them or dedicated to them. I think being a good person goes a long way. And I learned that from one of my best friends who was my chef as well. Hmm. I got on the phone once and he was so polite and nice to the supplier where I've heard so many people be the opposite. And I'm like, man, you're so nice on the phone. And he said, and he told me, he looked at me and said, there's not much more important than being nice to people. And I think that's taken me a very long way. Amen my relationships, that. yeah. Now, I know you've, uh, you made mention of uh, being impacted by COVID and, and certainly you're um, taking care of your father uh, during this time. What advice do you have for those that have been impacted by COVID from an employment perspective? My advice to actual individuals, 
I can only speak on what I've done. I've decided to take the time for myself to catch up a breather after 15 years of not breathing, let's say, of missing out on so many things. I've had a little roller coaster year for myself in my personal life, and I haven't been able to actually process it. And now stopping and just looking around and like you, as you mentioned, my, you know, my, my father hasn't been doing great in the last year and I wasn't around. I was working every day that he was in the hospital. Whenever, when my family was there and whatnot, I was always the missing piece. I was never around because I had to, I was in a kitchen. So now I've decided to take the time and catch up. I've, you know, I've lost a little bit of 15 pounds and eating healthier than I have in years and spending time with my dad, whether it's just sitting and having coffee in a park and even not talking is good enough. It's just, it's just having this, that emotional moment with him is, is, is enough. It speaks volumes to me and being able to be there for people around me that I love. And, and, and then there's a part of me that sit at home and I play video games and I'm lazy, you know, <laughs> but, it's, but it's okay to be, I feel like I've earned that. So for sure. that's my experience with COVID. And I know people who are working in kitchens still and going through it. And I say to anybody, just, what is most valuable with your time? What's going to make you, what's, you know, if you have an opportunity to just take a step back and catch your breath and, and refocus your mental and your physical and whatnot. And I say, take it. If you're someone that needs to work, then work. But I've chosen to, to, to take a little bit of time for myself. And I don't know what the repercussions of that are, but I don't care. <laughs> Barbo, you've been, through this conversation continue to be such an inspiration. Uh, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to share your story with many people who are looking for inspiration today. How can people find you? Uh, well, I have my Instagram, uh, Barbode, which is quite simple. And then I, have a faulty LinkedIn account that we will fix up that I, I admit I've neglected. Um, and by email, even if anybody would like, you can email me at barbode.sudi at gmail.com. And that's about it. Beautiful. Thank you so much, sir. And I hope to see you in the next couple of months here, depending on the situation. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, Adrian. It's a pleasure. Looking at my role, it's about that time. Looking at my role, it's about that time.